Passenger trains haven't rolled through Asheville since 1975, but there's a serious plan from the North Carolina Department of Transportation to bring them back. People love trains. That's the long and short of it. There's a big cultural memory of, tr of train travel to and from this area. Some of the, the biggest cultural touchstones of Asheville, Thomas Wolfe's Look Homeward Angel, has sequences of Little Tom or his, his stand-in riding the train to and from Altamont. There are bluegrass songs coming out today about taking the train out of Asheville. Like, it's, it's culturally important. I'm Matt Pikin, and this is The Overlook, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. Daniel Walton is becoming a regular guest on The Overlook. His recent story for Mountain Express connects the tracks between three decades of studies and recent federal infrastructure funding to a planned 140-mile route from Asheville running east to Salisbury. I'll talk with Walton about the environmental and cultural factors playing into the rekindled interest in passenger rail. We'll also talk about how the proposed line out of Asheville would feed into a wider web of passenger lines and a timeline that could leave the project prone to shifting political and economic winds. The Overlook is going live, and you can be part of my first live podcasting event. I'm recording three episodes in one special evening, Wednesday, September 27th at the Wortham Center. The resonant rogues are performing songs from their upcoming album. I'll talk with people at the heart of Asheville's reparations movement, and Asheville Symphony Music Director Darko Buderitz tells us how he's approaching the coming season when the orchestra's main home is out of commission. Seating is limited to 80 people, and tickets are going fast. Go to WorthamArts.org and click on events. I began our conversation by asking Daniel Walton about the roots of passenger rail in this region. You've got to go back to the 1870s to get the, the very earliest bits of passenger rail. It's hard to build a train to the mountains. You've got to go through solid rock. You've got to go up some very steep grades. It took a lot of investment. Former Governor Zebulon Baird Vance was one of the main people who pushed through the train in that, that 1870s, 1880s period. It had been viewed as a primarily economic driver as a way to connect the western part of the state, its resources, particularly of timber, with the east, with eastern ports. But when you've got a rail line, you can put passengers on it too. And when you have this passenger excursion, you've also got the potential for tourism. Some of the earliest bits of Asheville tourism come from the rail, and you've got uh, the even the idea of the land of the sky uh, was tied to a railroad marketing campaign. Did passenger rail start going out of favor like everything else in the country when car culture really started taking over? Sure. I mean, that's the primary driver when the country decided post-World War II that we're going to invest hugely in an interstate system. We're going to deprioritize rail. You get people taking up the, the freedom of the open road. But there was still good utilization of passenger rail for quite some time. You'll have uh, old timers talk about how they would take the rail to and from college in uh, Chapel Hill from Asheville as late as the 1970s. So it was still a route that was used. It still had a uh, 
decent number of commuters even at that point. So back then, in the 1970s, people could ride directly from Asheville to Chapel Hill and beyond. There, were, there was working rail, working passenger rail. Yeah, Asheville had service to that part of the world. So why was it discontinued? Was it at a point where the market value, it just, there wasn't enough commercial market for passenger rail by the time it was discontinued? I think that's the case that you see decreasing ridership numbers. You see a state that is putting more of its limited transportation dollars into highway infrastructure. It's just not something that the state is interested in keeping up at that point. I thought it was interesting that your story mentioned that as far back as 1995, so only 20 years after passenger rail discontinued, there were rumblings about trying to bring it back. Why? People love trains. That's the long and short of it. There's a big cultural memory of, tr- of train travel to and from this area. It's some of the, the biggest cultural touchstones of Asheville, Thomas Wolfe's Look Homeward Angel, has sequences of little Tom or his, his stand-in riding the train to and from Altamont. It, there are bluegrass songs coming out today about taking the train out of Asheville. Like, it's, it's culturally important. But wait a second, though. You said people love trains. They must have loved them back in 75. What changed between 75 and 95? I'm not entirely sure, but I, I just get the sense that after 20 years, the idea was ready to be revisited. And could it also have been that our interstates were just starting to get more choked and people thought, gosh, we could use something that's more, much more express than being stuck on I-40 or I-26? Do you think any of that comes into play? Certainly, the state continues to grow in population, and yeah, that puts more pressure on the infrastructure that that is there in terms of highways. So we're talking almost now 30 years since, it's been 28 years since talk of passenger rail was rekindled to today, and your story talks about a line of about 140 miles going from here to Salisbury, and that's on existing track. Talk about this project. Sure. So the current proposal, as you say, is Asheville to Salisbury connection along track owned by Norfolk Southern that uses the line currently for some freight traffic. The route would run through Old Fort, through Black Mountain, through Marion, through Hickory. So hitting a lot of the population centers between here and Salisbury. The idea is that this passenger route would run three round trips per day. It would take about three and a half to four hours, depending on... One way would be three and a half to four hours. Correct. And now this is on existing rail, and yet the project price it was $695 million, according to your story. $665. $665 million. If it's already on existing rail, why so expensive? That's a great question. And primarily, it's because passenger rail is a different animal than freight rail. The federal government requires a lot more safety infrastructure on passenger rail than it does on freight rail, because there are more people. It's more of a risk. So to upgrade the existing track with a lot of these safety features, particularly something called positive train control, a system of sensors on the trail that at every step of the way is telling the train, yes, you can go forward. It is safe to proceed. That is a lot of money. That's hundreds of millions of dollars. There are station upgrades to make sure all of the 
destinations along the route can accept the train, accept people, because the route would still be used for freight and you want to be able to have trains pass each other, you'd need to construct or upgrade some sidings, places where you can shunt one train to the side and let another train pass. You'd have to buy the trains themselves, which are expensive. This route would uh, need three train sets and i love how it's train set either if you're a a big train or you're a little model train and there would need to be a maintenance facility about 55 million dollars somewhere in the the train shed to keep all of that running and this is an ncdot project right that's correct now who would operate this passenger rail if i understand correctly like ncot is Fronting the costs to get this line upgraded for the passenger aspect of things, Amtrak will operate the line as they do for uh, the other flagship passenger services in the state, the Piedmont and the Carolinian, both trains that currently run between Charlotte and Raleigh that are the backbone of the state's rail service. People aren't going to want to just go from Asheville to Salisbury and then they're stuck there. Is there a network waiting for them to take them other places? Yes, there is a network now, and it's a network that is also potentially expanding in the same time frame that this line would be Currently, Salisbury is a stop along the Piedmont and the Carolinian routes, the big backbone routes that run between Charlotte and Raleigh and a little beyond in either direction. Also, that corridor has been identified as part of a bigger project, this idea of a southeast high-speed rail corridor that would potentially connect Washington, D.C. all the way down to Florida through that part of North Carolina with a service that would be faster and a little more regular than it even is now. This Asheville to Salisbury line isn't just Asheville to Salisbury. It is Asheville's key to a much broader world of rail. Volunteering for Asheville Habitat for Humanity is meaningful and rewarding. Yes, you'll meet new people with a shared mission, and yes, you'll learn how to wield a hammer and saw like a pro. Best of all, you'll be part of the hands-on solution to our region's affordable housing challenge. Join Asheville Habitat for a day of volunteer service in Arden's Glen Bridge neighborhood. You can also be part of the popular Women Build program. To get involved, go to AshevilleHabitat.org and click the button to volunteer. Talk about it if you can. Is this part of a broader effort happening regionally or nationally to bring back or enhance the usage of passenger rail? Sure. The feds would certainly like it to be. Why would they? On one regard, it is a climate effort. Passenger trains tend to be significantly less polluting per passenger mile than cars for the same distance. You see figures like roughly 80% emissions reduction for the same passenger mile on a train versus a car. Obviously, that depends on how crowded the car and the train are and what type of fuel they're using in the first place. But no matter how you slice it, there is an emissions reduction. It's also a way to build kind of resilience into the system when you've got multiple ways to move people. If there's a problem on one, you've got another way to shunt people. Highways are also expensive. Rail 
provides more capacity without having to upgrade highways or having to expand highways, which can be problematic for all kinds of reasons. So the, the feds have allocated a lot of money in the recent bipartisan infrastructure bill, as it's called, roughly $66 billion towards passenger rail in particular, and $16 billion specifically for new lines that don't exist. Wow. Uh, that's exactly the situation that this Asheville to Salisbury line would be in. And that's what the state is is hoping to get federal support. To be clear, so even though the line doesn't exist, but the rail exists. Yes. The, the, so would there be any connections uh, that are much more in this region? Would there be, would this passenger rail or is there talk about having passenger rail from here to Brevard or here to Silva? Or you mentioned how the mountains play such a role here. Is there a limitation because of our topography to have passenger rail be uh, pragmatic in this region unto itself? Currently, there isn't talk of moving passengers from Asheville in different directions, north-south. And it's unlikely that will happen, especially because some of those crane tracks are already getting converted into other uses. The Yocusta Trail down in Henderson and Transylvania County is an unused rail line that is just received $46 million from the federal government to be converted into a greenway. Uh, so that's really interesting that so there it seems like there's this uh, potential if not conflict but real question whether it's reusing for commuter rail or converting to greenway both are very contemporary ways of looking at usage of that rail bed. I imagine that would be a real debate in public policy. A lot of people make use of greenways who would love to have that multimodal element. And at the same time, to ease congestion on our interstates, maybe converting this back to passenger rail, even within our region would be the smart way to go. Are people having those debates or those discussions happening? I think it's less of a consideration for those kind of interregional connections. And the passenger numbers probably aren't there. Those types of lines aren't connecting to this existing popular backbone. North Carolina as a whole is seeing record rail ridership numbers. Those numbers are increasing. There is demand on the lines that are already there. It's also just a lot harder to operate along some of those currently unused lines. You may have heard of the Salute Grade, which is the, I believe it was the steepest regularly used passenger line, at least on this side of the country. And it was just dangerous to run. There were accidents that happened there. And I think in the present day, people would be loath to reactivate those particular wow. tracks. Now, is this committed money? Is this going to happen or what has to happen to make this go through? So that is an open question. The first inkling that we will probably get of whether this is likely to go through is in the fall. The state has submitted this project to the federal uh, corridor identification program. It's a new program, part of the bipartisan infrastructure law that will provide planning support for new intercity connections. If our corridor is accepted into that program, the people that I talked to pretty much said that's a, a big indication that more support will be coming. Like the feds have signaled a corridor that gets in this program will enter a pipeline of development and funding opportunities to make it happen. 
you still need like 20% of the project to be paid for by state and local partners so you can access that much larger 80% of, of federal matching funds to do the thing. What would be the local investment in that having to happen? I can see the state putting in money, but would there be county or city money going to this? There could be. And when I talked with uh, Ray Rapp and Dan Gurley of the WNC Rail Committee, they suggested that those investments might be made at the station level. I mean, the, the city of Asheville already has helped buy a piece of land in Biltmore Village to construct a station if this uh, corridor becomes a reality. Municipalities or counties could also potentially pay for staffing of those stations, that kind of low-level, very local operational cost. Nobody is asking cities and counties to, to pony up for you know, positive train control on miles and miles of tracks, but they might be asked to support operations of you know, the accepting and disgorging people in their own uh, neck of the woods. Yeah, and you said now the station would start in Biltmore Village? That is the plan that is studied here. There is a suggestion that the Asheville station could be located in the River Arts District. That would add about $5 million to the projected cost to extend the line a little bit to do land acquisition and site preparation. But there's been a little talk of that as an alternative. Gotcha. And and your story also said that the soonest, the absolute soonest that that any rail could actually be happening here would be 2035, passenger trains starting to roll then. Anything's possible that it could happen a little bit earlier, but that's the target date that Amtrak has set in its Connect Us vision plan for the Asheville-Salisbury route to be included in its network. So that's what you should have in mind. Any type of thing like this where that's 12 years out, costs change, priorities change, is political will and political determination and commitment part of whether this happens? And if it is, how can we be sure that like even people say yes now that 12 years, could this be like an I-26 connector situation that goes on for decades? Talk of this just keeps happening. Is that a very real possibility? Well, the I-26 connector is happening. It's like $1.2 billion, but it is happening. Yes, it's very real that this is an essentially political question. The reason that it hasn't happened yet has been political, that rail has not been prioritized over highway investments. And it's possible that Subsequent federal administrations could claw back some of the money that's been allocated to rail in the the Biden administration's stuff. We see that I believe there is a, a House budget that's been proposed that would reduce Amtrak funding levels substantially. Whether that passes or not currently, who knows? But yeah, this whole effort is vulnerable to changing political will as as much as anything. Yeah, and you mentioned in your story that the ticket price or what they're estimating would be $24 for a one-way trip on this. $24 12 years from now might be a bargain. Yeah, all of these projections are in current year dollars. That's the fare, that's the operating cost, that's the capital cost. So in... 13 years, it could be substantially more. It depends on inflation. Is there anything we haven't talked about this project that you think is important for people to understand? I think the question that a lot of train advocates are asking are, how can we make this more likely to happen? And what I gathered from both state and local officials is that the biggest 
difference that local people can make is to lobby their local officials to support this effort. The state allocates its funding towards transportation based on, in large part, what local governments want. And if they hear from Buncombe County, from the city of Asheville, from all the municipalities along the route, we want this and we want this sooner rather than later, then in their funding formulae for transportation projects, they're more likely to match the federal money with state money, make the Asheville to Salisbury passenger connection happen uh, sooner rather than later. One thing I didn't ask, and this would be purely guesswork, I imagine, uh, on anybody's part, but what would be the economic impact for Asheville in terms of bringing tourism in here, bringing business? What would the ridership be estimated at? And then what would be the economic impact here? Sure. So Amtrak has estimated like a 31 million economic impact along the corridor annually for having this in operation. In terms of ridership, the draft feasibility study conducted for NCDOT estimates like 100,000 annual trips by 2045, and then an additional 290, 300,000 trips that would be on the line connecting to that aforementioned corridor, the Charlotte to Raleigh stuff. So substantial numbers. That's not even considering people who might be coming from farther afield on this southeast high-speed corridor if they were coming from, say, Florida or D.C. wanting to take a pleasure trip to Asheville. This would be a new way for them to get there. In terms of local economic impact, uh, I haven't seen any particularly solid numbers on that, but there is a thought that this would provide a tourism boost by being another low-stress, enjoyable way for people across the Southeast to get to Asheville. Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Daniel Walton, who's a frequent contributor to the Mountain Express. And as with most of my interviews, today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater, whose owners, Susan and Giles Collard, have been so gracious enough to allow me to use as my second broadcast studio. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.